Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Pastor Kyle is still out on vacation. I think he's been having a great time with his family, so we're thankful for that. And and uh, we celebrate that. But uh, this morning, well, let me before I do this, let me ask, um, are there any teens or workers in here right now who are going to teen camp this week? A few? All right, awesome. We're going to be praying for you and, and uh, church family. Think, of, think about them this week. Uh, we, we've got the first week of teen camp this week, and then we're sending another group next week, and then kids camp will be later in the summer. But uh, be sure and pray for them uh, this week. I want to share some statistics with you. Uh, that I learned just a few years ago. I thought these were pretty interesting. Um, According to this particular study, when a child comes to know Christ, when a child decides to follow Jesus, 3% of the time, the rest of the family follows. Not a very big number, but praise God for the 3%, right? When a woman decides to follow Christ, that number jumps to 17%. 17% of the time that the wife or the mother decides to follow Jesus, the rest of the family follows suit. When the man decides to follow Jesus, anybody want to guess what that number jumps to? Just throw it out. Just throw out a number if you want to guess. 42. 42. Not even close. 94% of the time. Yeah, that's worth applauding, folks. That's worth applauding. Now, here's the thing. Uh, maybe there are other studies who would come up with different numbers, and we could debate those numbers, but, but the point remains we cannot overstate the importance that men have when it comes to the spiritual well-being of their families. We can't overstate it. It's no wonder our culture is trying so hard to minimize the role of men. And our culture is doing that. And it's no wonder that Satan works so hard to discourage men from leading spiritually. It's because of numbers like that. And so when, when we, were, um, we, were, we were kind of brainstorming the topics that we wanted to talk about, we felt like God wanted us to address in this series called Family Life, uh, the good, the bad, and the crazy Uh, we decided that we had to address this topic. And so we're going to use David this morning as an example. Uh, There's a story from David's life. We know David was not a perfect husband, all right? He was not a perfect father. He was not a perfect man. There are lots of stories from the Bible where David did not get it right. But the story we're going to look at today, he did get it right. And he wasn't an old seasoned uh, veteran. He wasn't an old seasoned warrior when he got this right. He was a young boy, probably in his mid to late teens. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 or, or in your Bible app. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We'll kind of summarize it and then we're going to draw out a few verses. But here's the story. Here's what happens in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, there's a, the army of the Philistines. The Philistines were hated enemies of Israel. And the Philistine army, they would gather every day on one side of the valley. And the Israelite army would gather on the other side of the valley. And every day, the Philistines would send out a warrior who would taunt the Israelites. And this warrior's name was Goliath. Now, Goliath stood nine feet, nine inches tall. To put that in perspective, a standard basketball goal is ten feet. So Goliath was three inches shorter than a basketball goal. 
As I told the early service, he could dunk a ball with his teeth, okay? I don't think the text actually says that, but he was right there. That's how big Goliath was. And he was this mighty warrior. And he would come out and he would he would curse God and he would curse the Israelite army. And he would say, come on, bring me, send me your best warrior. See, apparently this was kind of a common custom. It was a way to sort of save bloodshed. It was a way to avoid a huge bloodbath where one army would, would send out their best and the other army would send out their best and they'd say they'd fight to the death and say, okay, let's see who wins. And every day for over a month, Goliath would do this and the entire army of Israel would shrink back. They'd put their armor on, they'd make a lot of noise, they'd, they'd shout their, their, their battle shouts And they'd get up to the battle line and then nobody would step forward. Until finally, one day, this teenager steps forward and he tells King Saul this. Saul was the king over the Israelites. He says, don't worry about this Philistine. I will go fight him. I will go fight him, he says. Even King Saul, who was supposed to be the leader, even he was shrinking back in fear. And this young teenage boy steps up and says, I got this. I'm right here. I'm your man. I'll go fight him. I'll take care of it. What we see David doing in this story is living out some characteristics That all of us men would do well to pursue in our lives. Now, if you're here today, obviously, we're not all men here today. So if you're a woman, here's where where you can engage with this message today. Um, First of all, if you're single and you think you may get married one day, don't settle. Pursue a man who pursues these things in his life. If you're, raising, uh, if you're raising a son, teach him to pursue these qualities in his life. If you're raising a daughter, teach her to one day pursue a man who has these qualities. Or if you don't fit any of those characteristics, if you don't fit any of those places in life, then, then ladies, think about the men in your life. Is there a man in your life who exhibits these characteristics? A dad, a husband, a son, a brother, somebody you know in church. Think about that as we go through this and thank God for that man and his influence in your life. And there are some things here that you uh, can apply to your lives as well, ladies. So this is, this is for everybody today. And by the way, uh, the characteristics that we're going to look at in David, these three characteristics are inspired by this book, Modern Day Night by Robert Lewis if you want to check it out and do some more reading on it yourself. But let's talk about these these characteristics that David shows here. First of all, he rejects passivity. He rejects passivity. Now, what does that mean? What's passivity mean? Let me illustrate it with a story from the Bible. Uh, Pastor Kyle began this series by talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they allowed sin to enter their lives and enter into this world. And as the story goes, you know, God had told Adam that they were not to eat from a certain tree. And then the serpent came and tempted Eve and Eve ate it and then she gave it to Adam and he ate. And as that story unfolds, Adam isn't mentioned anywhere in the story until that moment when he takes the fruit and eats it as well. 
And for the longest time, when I pictured that, that unfolding in my mind, I had it in my head that Adam must have been off um, watching baseball or something, watching the Royals, I guess, I don't know. But I had it in my head that he was off somewhere else. And then somebody pointed out this phrase. She took some of the fruit and she ate it, and then she gave some to her husband. Read that phrase with me. Who was with her? And he ate it too. Adam was there the whole time. This happened right under his nose. And instead of standing up to the tempter, instead of protecting his wife, instead of fighting for their integrity, Adam just stood there passively and he let it happen. Who was it that initially received God's commandment in the first place? It was Adam. Who was it that apparently passed on a partial or a distorted version of what God had said to his wife? Adam did. And who was it that stood silently while the serpent lied to his wife about God? Adam did. One author puts it this way. He stood by in silence, in passivity, while evil invaded paradise. Now contrast that with David's response to the evil presence trying to invade Israel. Remember, what did he say? Don't worry about this Philistine. I'll go fight him. I'll do it. I'll fight the battle. David didn't shrink back and be passive. Everybody, the entire rest of the army was, including King Saul. They were standing back in fear, passively allowing this giant to curse their God and curse their people and curse themselves. And David rejected that. He rejected that passivity. And he stood up and he said, I will go fight him. You see, folks, God's design was for men to lead and to protect and to fight their battles for for their families and their faith. That doesn't mean that men are supposed to to, uh, be dictators. In fact, the Bible tells us the way that we lead is by serving and giving ourselves up for our wives and for each other. So this isn't, this isn't a sexist statement. In fact, the very, the very hormones and chemicals in our bodies attest to this. Women produce more oxytocin. That promotes relational bonding. Men tend to produce more testosterone. And that leads to taking risks. It, it, it pushes them to advance and to guard and to conquer. That's why men tend to respond to stress with fight or flight. And women, in general, tend to respond to stress by tend and befriend. In other words, when things get tough, generally speaking, and yes, there are exceptions to everything, but generally speaking, when things get tough, women tend to focus on friendships and family. Men, in general, tend to turn their focus outward to fix the problem or take care of the threat. It's how God has wired us. It's how God has designed us because his design is for men to lead and protect and engage the battles for their families and for their faith. And that's what we see the young David doing in this story. 
And so what I, what I would like for us to take with us from this, here's our action step, our first action step, is men in particular, identify an area of your life where maybe you've been too passive. Uh, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that involves spiritual things with your wife if you're married. Um, several years ago, our church in, in Mountain Grove that we, we came here from, we took a group of men to a, a men's encounter, kind of a men's retreat, weekend retreat. It was an incredible time, and several of the guys who went were, were kind of the big, you know, big, big, burly, macho kind of guys, you know, didn't, didn't really show feeling or emotion much or anything like that. And so uh, about a week after we got back, I asked the, the wife of one of those guys kind of what her perspective was on the men's encounter after her husband came back. And she looked at me, and her, as she was talking to me, her eyes just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And you could tell she couldn't believe she was, she was sharing this story, even as she was sharing it. She said the very first night that we all got home from the retreat, she and her husband talked about it for a while, and, and they crawled into bed, and he rolled over, and he put his arm around her, and he just started praying. He had never ever done that in their and they've been married a long time and you could tell as she was telling me this story she was just welling up with joy you know why because her heart had been longing for that kind of spiritual leadership from her husband and i believe there are ladies out there just like her, whose hearts are aching for their husband to show that kind of leadership. Men, have you been too passive when it comes to developing spiritual things with your wife? Do you pray together? Do you read the scripture together? Do you have some kind of devotions together? Are you doing anything spiritually together as a couple? Or have you been too passive there? Maybe, it come, maybe it's in the area of disciplining your kids. I've seen far too, uh, too dads, too many dads who, who are, you know, it's almost like they kind of want to be the good guy and, and let the wife carry all of the discipline. Man, don't do that. Don't do that. You're a team. Remember, we talked about that a while back when we talked about marriage. You're a team. Now, don't just jump in and start disciplining the kids if you haven't done that. Talk to your wife and and get on the same page about what that needs to look like. But you're a team. Don't be be passive in that area. Maybe maybe it's church involvement or, or whatever it is. The point is, pray about it and say, God, is there an area of my life where I have been too passive, where I need to step up? And show more initiative. And then pray about it. Ask God to give you the strength and the the courage to engage in that area. Probably all of us can identify something. I can. I'm thinking of something right now. There's an area where I need to engage in more when it comes to my family. So think about that, men. Pray about it. Ask God to help you. But reject passivity. Engage those battles. Second characteristic David shows here is he accepts responsibility in times, in this time of crisis. Uh, Folks, crises are not times for men to shrink back in fear. That's what the whole Israelite army was doing, including King Saul. 
They were shrinking back in fear. But times of crisis, those are times for us to step up, to take responsibility for the battle, to bring faith and hope and courage to the situation. That's what God calls us to do. And one of the ways that we do this is we make sure that we're listening to the right voice. You see, the Israelite army and Saul, you know what they were doing? They were listening to Goliath's voice more than they were listening to God's. And that's why they shrank back in fear. When we listen to Goliath's voice, and all of us have Goliaths in our lives, all of us have giants, all of us have obstacles in front of us, and when we listen to that voice more than we listen to God's voice, that's when fear grabs a hold of us. That's when we shrink back. But see, David, he wasn't listening to Goliath's voice. David was listening to God's voice. And when we listen to God's voice, then our fear is overshadowed by faith and hope and courage. We find that by listening to God's voice. And you know what happens when we're filled with faith and hope and courage? Then we can inspire those around us to also attack their giants with faith and hope and courage. But we've got to be filled with that first. And we get filled with that by listening to the right voice. See, here's the thing. The army of Israel, they were desperate, weren't they? They were desperate for somebody to stand up and lead the charge and fight this battle. That's a challenging metaphor for Christian men today. Men, are you willing to stand and fight for your marriage? Say, well, how do I do that? Well, you fight for your marriage by making your wife a priority. You fight for your marriage by, again, like we said earlier, not by being some kind, of, uh, some kind of dictator. You fight for your marriage, the Bible says, by laying your life down for her. By giving yourself up for her. By focusing on her needs and, and her desires. Are you willing to fight for your marriage? Are you willing to fight for your marriage by saying, you know what? This isn't about her changing this is about me changing. I've got to do something differently. Are you willing to fight? If it's not working, are you willing to do something different? Are you willing to fight for your kids? No matter how old they are, even if they're grown and gone and out of the house, you can still fight for your kids. And you do that no matter how old they are. You do that by living out for them an example of a godly man, an example of a man who is after God's heart. By living out the example of a man who trusts God no matter what. Instead of panicking when life pulls the rug out from under you, you trust God with a steely resolve and say, I know God is going to take care of this. You model that for your kids. You spend time with your kids. You show your kids that you love their mom. And you respect their mom. What about your church? Man, are you willing to fight for your church? And too many churches in our culture, men have shrunk back. 
And women have carried the load. And so men, you fight for your church by being active and being involved and modeling that for your kids and your family as well. Engage the mission. Be active. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your family. Fight for your kids. Fight for your church. Because every army needs a man or two or three who will stand and engage the battle. Are you willing to do that? With David, this all went back to the voice he was listening to. And so here's our second action step. And this is for everybody, not just men. Make sure that you're listening to the right voice. By cultivating habits of being in God's word and being in prayer. That's where we hear his voice. That's where we learn to hear his voice over the voices of of so many other things. Are you cultivating habits? Are Are you in his word, reading his Bible regularly, spending time in prayer regularly? That's where we learn to hear his voice. And that's where he learns, or that's where he fills us with faith and hope and courage so that we can take responsibility in times of crisis. Are you putting yourself in a position to hear the right voice? The third characteristic that we see in David is he leads courageously. You know, Saul may have, he may have been the leader in title. He had the title of king, but he wasn't a leader in this situation, was he? Because you see, leaders, leaders solve problems. Leaders do something. Leaders don't just point out the problem in other people. And leaders don't criticize those who are engaged in the battle when they themselves are standing on the sideline. Leaders do something about it. They do something about the problem. They step forward. Saul wouldn't do that, but David did. In fact, I, one thing that I read uh, made the comment that, that the throne changed hands on that day. Now, it was a long time before David would actually become the king. But on that day, David acted more like the leader than Saul did. Because he stepped forward and he led courageously. Leaders face down their fears. They accept the risks. And they do something. But here's the thing. I don't think it was, I don't think David was unafraid. When we say that David led courageously, I don't believe that David was, was unafraid. There had to be a part of him that was afraid of this 10 foot tall giant who could dunk a basketball with his teeth. The deal with David was his faith in God was bigger than his fear of Goliath. And that was the key. You say, well, where did that come from? Where did that, where did that courage and that faith come from? Well, David tells us in the chapter that it came from his past experiences. Listen to what he said. He, he went to Saul and he said, hey, I'm your man. I'll go fight. And Saul says, you're crazy. Don't go out there. And then David responds this way. He says, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and I rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. 
I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again. I'll do it to this pagan Philistine, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And then he says this, The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. The God who rescued me then will rescue me now. The God who was with me then is the God who will be with me now. David drew strength, he drew faith, he drew courage from his past experiences with God. Right now, in our lives, in the life of my family, we're still making this transition to Pittsburgh. If you're visiting with us today... Um, I, I came in January to be the discipleship pastor here. My wife is a teacher, and so my wife and our three kids, uh, they've been in, still in Missouri finishing up the school year. And so uh, right now we're, we're trying to get the house over there packed up and ready to sell and, and all that really fun stuff. Sarah still doesn't have a job. And because of that, we still don't, we really don't have a permanent place to stay yet. Um, Mike and Susie Dalton are generously putting us up at their house, which is awesome. Uh, And because of those two things, we don't know yet where the boys are going to go to school. And so my point is that we we have a lot of really big things that are just up in the air right now. When I put these notes together, I said 90% of the time I'm not stressed by that. It's been kind of a tough week, though. So I'm going to say 85% of the time I'm not stressed about it. That's not because there's something special about me or about my faith. The reason 85% of the time I'm not stressed about it is because, as we would say in Texas, this ain't our first rodeo. The very first move that Sarah and I made together as a married couple, uh, we moved from Columbia, Missouri to Springfield, Missouri, and we knew in our hearts God was telling us to do that. No doubts about that. And so we expected to to leave Columbia and and arrive in Springfield with jobs and and a place to live, and everything was going to just be smooth and great. And we pulled out of Columbia with a trailer load full of stuff, with no jobs waiting in Springfield, and no place to stay except for with her folks who lived an hour away. There's actually a really cool story that I'm sure I'll tell you sometime. But for our purposes this morning, I want you to hear. God took care of us then. And he's going to take care of us now. Because we are just as positive that he has led us here as we were then that he led us to Springfield. And just because things aren't just dropping right into place doesn't mean that God has dropped us. And it doesn't mean that he's dropped you. The God who took care of you then will take care of you now. That's where David's faith and courage came from, to fight Goliath. And so here's what I want to encourage you to do. 
Here's your action step. Let me say this first. Leading courageously doesn't mean that you're never afraid. It means that the more afraid you are, the more determined you are to trust God. You know, I said, I said 85% of the time I'm not stressed about all of this. What about the other 15%? I'm not perfect. My faith isn't perfect. There's a prayer that I pray in that other 15% of the time. I prayed it a lot this past week, like I said. That prayer is, God, I believe. Help my unbelief. That comes from a man in the Gospels who comes to Jesus. And he wants Jesus to heal his daughter. And the man tells Jesus, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. In other words, God, I trust you. But help me to trust you more. I trust you, but fear is knocking on the door. So help me to trust you more. Leading courageously doesn't mean that you're never afraid. It means that the more afraid you are, the more determined you are to trust God. And you draw that strength from your past experiences. And by the way, if, you would, if you're sitting here and you would say, I'm not sure I have any past experiences with God. Oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Here's the action step. You can start this now if you want. At least by the time you go to bed tonight. Write down times in your life where you know God has come through for you. And if you're not sure that that has happened, think back on the times where you got through a situation you didn't think you were going to get through. Think of times where, where you prayed, you cried out to God, and that prayer was answered. Maybe it wasn't answered the way you thought it would be, but it was answered. Or think of a time where you just you needed wisdom to get through a difficult decision where you didn't really know what to do. But God helped, he gave you wisdom and he helped, he helped show you what you needed to do. Write down all the times you can think of. If you're here today and you're not even sure you're a believer anyway, and you're here maybe just because somebody invited you, you know what, you can still do this too. Think back on times in your life and make it hypothetical. Say, you know what, if I did believe in God, what are the times in my life where I would probably say, you know what, that was probably God. Make your list. And then draw your strength and your courage from looking at those times that God has taken care of you. Use it as a source of strength as you lead today. Reject passivity. Accept responsibility. Lead courageously. That's what David does in this story. And that's what you and I would do well to, to cultivate in our lives as well. So let's wrap up the story. I love verse 52. After David defeats Goliath, it says this. It says, Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout. Of triumph, and they rushed after the Philistines. Think about that for a minute, folks. This was the same army who, for over a month, every day had been shrinking back in fear. The same army where nobody would stand and fight. 
But when David stepped forward and they saw his courage and they saw his faith in God and they saw the victory that God gave David over their enemy, that inspired them and everything changed. And then they rose up and they went out and fought. See, David didn't fight the whole Philistine army. He fought Goliath. He fought the one battle and that inspired everybody around him to go fight the rest of the battle. David showed faith and hope and courage and that inspired those around him to show the same thing and engage in the battle. That's the mark of a great leader. If you're not inspiring those around you, then you're not really leading. David inspired them because that's what a great leader does. That's the mark of a great father. It's the mark of a great husband. It's the mark of a great man of God. Men, do you inspire your wife, your kids, your friends, your co-workers, other people at church? Do you inspire people to pursue God? Do you inspire them to draw closer to God because they see you drawing closer to God? Do you inspire them to meet their challenges, to meet their Goliaths with faith and hope and courage because they see you meeting your Goliaths with faith and hope and courage? So we close this morning. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, I don't know if this is true everywhere, but it's been true in, I think, every church that I've served in. For some reason that I won't try to psychoanalyze today, um, women tend to be more likely to come up front and come to the altar to pray, generally speaking. This morning, I want to extend a special altar invitation to all the males in this room, no matter what age you are, no matter how young or how old. Will you take a small step of faith and courage and come this morning, kneel at an altar or, or kneel in the front row or sit on the front row? Will you, will you step out from where you are To simply bow before God and pray, God, I want to be the man you created me to be. The husband, the father, the brother, the friend, the co-worker, I want to be the man you created me to be, God. Whatever you want that to look like, God, that's what I want my life to look like. I need to pray this prayer. So as everybody stands and we sing this last song, Men who will join me in praying this prayer this morning. Father, thank you for your amazing grace that makes it possible for us to even call on your name, to even pray the prayer, God mold me into the person you created me to be. Thank you for your grace that is offered to every person in this room. Your grace that says, come to me. 
just as you are, come to me. Father, I pray, especially this morning, for, for all these men and young, and young boys who came forward this morning, declaring to you in front of their church family, I want to be the man you created me to be. Because God, we need you for that. Father, you know one of the hardest things for us to admit is we're not strong enough. But God, in our own strength, we are not strong enough to be who you created us to be. We need your power. We need your Holy Spirit. So fill us and empower us to be the men and to be the women that you created each of us to be. And I pray that you would go with these people. May your presence go with them. Remind them every day of your love for them. And that you'll take care of them today. Just like you took care of them yesterday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.